This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Great to be here. I'm Frank Morano. If uh, you're new to our show, in some ways it's very different than anything else that's on the radio. In other respects, it's kind of the best of what old-time radio used to be. If you're looking for a radio show that is three or four hours of nothing but Hunter Biden and migrants, this is not the show for you. We try to have fun on this show. We try to be entertaining. We try to talk about issues that don't get addressed elsewhere. And if we do talk about issues that are also talked about on other shows, I try to bring opinions, views that you don't hear on any other shows. Hopefully it makes the show enjoyable, but at the very least, uh, it makes it unique. I uh, appreciate you listening. I want to give a special shout out. To all of our listeners at uh, KMOX in St. Louis, because today is the first day that KMOX, which is one of the best radio stations in America, is carrying us on a day other than Monday. They were carrying us every single day, every single Monday, rather, and thankfully the demand for our show was so great that they are now carrying us Five days a week. So I appreciate the opportunity to be heard. I will share with you this letter that I got from, uh, because we did a show on Christmas Day, which was a Monday. And I got this letter from a listener in KMOX, Mr. Moreno. By the way, everyone can feel free to just call me Frank, Frankie, superstar, whatever. Reverend. Uh, I heard your show on KMOX while I was up late wrapping gifts. Although I was aware of the history of KMOX, I enjoyed hearing you devote a few minutes to recounting it for your audience. You said that you're trying to build your show up bigger and bigger. I'll give you a free tip. The surest way to alienate the KMOX listening audience is to mispronounce the name of our state. We do not live in Missouri. Despite what some of the ignorati By the way, can we pause there? I've never heard that term, ignorati. I really like it. Despite what some of the ignorati who live on the west side of the state seem to think, there is, in fact, no state named Missouri. Just as there is no state down south named Mississippi. Well, is there anybody saying that there's a Mississippi? I don't think there is. There actually is, though, a Missouri contingent. The name of our state is Missouri. It's pronounced Missouri. No charge this time. J-R-B. Well, let me come clean with you. If you're listening to me for the first time in KMOX, I am a Missouri first person. I am a Missouri person. I enjoy saying Missouri. I love that there are so many people out there 
And you know what? If you want to talk about the folks on the western part of your state and uh, that might be a little bit more rural and refer to them as the ignorati, I'll tell you, I think it's a little elitist. I am a Missouri guy. So consider yourself warned. Consider yourself warned. All right. Um, One of the things we do this week at this time is give... A little bit of a pat on the back to some people that have done something laudatory, something praiseworthy. We're going to go live to Japan in about 20 minutes and talk with Dave Spector. Dave Spector is a fascinating guy. He's an American, born in America, raised in America, who moved to Japan about 30 years ago and is the biggest star on Japanese television. And he's as as American as any of you that were born, raised in America, but was fascinated by Japan and is a huge star on Japanese television. Great journalist, and we're actually very lucky to have him. I'm excited to talk with him. Japan obviously had this earthquake over the weekend, and a lot of people are concerned about what this might portend in terms of tsunamis because we remember what happened last time with the tsunamis. Now that Japan has gotten back into the business of nuclear power, I um, I, th- I know a lot of folks are wondering what the deal is in terms of paying attention to nuclear power and the tsunami. So we're going to get into that and a lot more with Dave Spector coming up. But first, The Other Side of Midnight presents Commendations. I must give the a commendation to students at a Phoenix elementary school. Specifically, the students of Derek Brown. Derek Brown is an elementary school teacher who uses stories that are in the news to teach kindness and character. Like, you know, there's the story, we've talked about it on the air every Christmas, of the Secret Santa, a wealthy, anonymous businessman who every year gives out hundreds of $100 bills to random strangers. I'm still hoping to be in this guy's path some Christmas time. But... The students of Derek Brown heard about this, and this made quite an impression. So with guidance from their teacher, the students started a Secret Santa club and began fundraising. They called friends, family, and businesses and raised $8,000 without any help from their school, without any help from their school district, just so they could turn around and give it all away. They gave the money to people like Rosemary Hernandez, who had been out of work for a week. They also gave money to Deirdre Taylor, who had just been diagnosed with cancer and was down to her last $20. The children spent the day changing dozens of lives. Along the way, they noticed something remarkable. The more they gave, the more they got. And that was exactly the realization that their teacher, Derek Brown, was hoping for. He told CBS News, I want this memory to be so strong that it now drives them every day in everything they do. And according to the students, the experience seems to definitely have changed them. So, that's nice. I want to commend Brittany Richard. Um, Brittany Richard is the CEO of her own cosmetics company. It's called Coda Skincare, which she started four years ago. Last year, she also became a landlord when she bought her first investment property. The apartment building that she owns in New Orleans has 10 units, and according to Ms. Richard, many of the tenants are single women with children. So that made her think of her own childhood growing up in public housing 
and how difficult Christmas time would be for her mom. Her mom was a single woman raising three children alone and watching her struggle as a child, she wanted to figure out how can she help these moms that are that are now her tenants. So in November, she gathered her tenants for a pre-holiday meeting and while decked out in a chartreuse suit, she delivered a gift to her tenants that would make Santa Claus green with envy. One month of free rent. This landlord gave all 10 units in the apartment building she owns one month free rent. Now, what a nice thing to do around the holidays. Can you imagine when you're trying to scrimp together money for presents or a nice Christmas meal or decorations and your first priority still has to be paying the rent? What a nice thing to do just to have a little extra money. Maybe it's 800 bucks, maybe it's $1,000, maybe it's $1,500. I don't know what they're charging. But I, I really think that is so commendable. Brittany Richard, I do commend you. I must also commend Barbara Kramer. Barbara Kramer is a Mick legend. Barbara Kramer is a 75-year-old employee at McDonald's. And she has been working at McDonald's for 53 years, and she's got no plans to retire. She started working at the Fort Pierce, Florida location in 1970 after applying for a job on the school board. However, once McDonald's offered her the position, she immediately accepted it. She told uh, West Palm Beach Station, WPTV, I just love it here. I came here and I winded up, you know, working my way up. Over the years, she's worked at several restaurant locations, but always preferred her original spot in Fort, Pre- Fort Pierce. She even met her first and second husbands from McDonald's before they passed away. I mean, I hope they didn't pay pass away from heart failure from eating too much McDonald's. But five days later, Barbara Kramer's co-worker called her the McLegend for her commitment to the establishment. The team hosted an anniversary celebration to honor her service on uh, December 20th, but she made sure to let people know it wasn't her last day because she had no plans to retire soon. I love this. I love when someone has a pride in their workplace like this, and this woman probably could retire. She probably could go work somewhere else, but she just loves working at McDonald's, and she seems to be doing a great job at it, and I agree. This woman is a McLegend. I I don't patronize McDonald's, but... um, If I'm ever in Fort Pierce, Florida, you can bet I'm going to patronize that McDonald's and look up Barbara Kramer. I want to commend walking. Uh, Some new information showing, this is according to the University of Maryland. Big shout out to our listeners in WCBM. Walking can enhance connections within and between three critical brain networks, one of which is linked to Alzheimer's disease. So the research involving older adults with normal cognitive function and those with mild cognitive impairment showcased an improvement in memory recollection abilities after a 12-week walking exercise regimen. The brain activity observed was stronger and more synchronized post-exercise, providing hope for combating cognitive impairment and potentially delaying the onset of Alzheimer's dementia. I was happy to hear this because I walk everywhere. Everywhere. That is my primary means of getting around. And I love this. And I'm going to make an effort to walk even more now. Everyone says, why don't you take the subway? You take the bus. No, I'm going to walk. I like walking. Why don't you drive? I'm going to walk. I'll walk. i got time. I like to walk. 
Um, so I want to commend walking. I want to give a, a commendation to our director of social media, who just does a terrific job. She's also been a guest here as part of the horror movie panel that we did. And no exaggeration, she's one of my favorite people that works here. She's always got a, a great attitude and uh, a smile on her face and a great energy. And that is Gina Limberopoulos. She became engaged this week. She was, uh, she was proposed to by Matthew Morenzi, and she said yes, and um, he bought her a beautiful ring. I don't know if it's a lab-made diamond or something from a mine somewhere, but uh, congratulations to Gina and to Matthew. I've met this young man, Matthew, and he seems like a, uh, certainly a handsome guy. And he seems like a, a very nice guy as well. But uh, very happy for, for Gina. She is absolutely a great person and deserving of, of happiness and all the great things that life has to offer. And she really makes my time here better because she not only works so hard, but she has such a great attitude. And all of you have someone like this in your workplace. You know, from what I hear from my mom's coworkers both where she is now and at the job that she was at for 29 years, she's that person in her office. That's the person Gina is here. She just lifts the spirits of every every room that she's in. And she happens to be quite good at her job. So um, have, congratulations to you, Gina Limberopoulos, and to Matthew. I want to give a posthumous commendation to Shecky Green. You know, I, I am so regretful that I never had the opportunity to interview Shecky Green. I've tried to a number of times, but this man was a gifted comic, a master improviser, and really the definitive Las Vegas lounge headliner when it came to comedy. Wayne Newton was certainly the definitive headliner when it came to uh, music. Siegfried and Roy were the definitive headliners when it came to magic. Maybe David Copperfield has that now. But it, when it came to comedy, it was Shecky Green. And if you listen to the way comics talk about him, he was revered by his peers, revered by live audiences. And I don't think anybody can doubt that he was one of the greatest stand-up acts, not only of his generation, but of all time. He was uh, 97 years old, and the shame of it is he's really the last of that generation. Now that Pat, Ru Pat uh, Cooper is gone, now that Jackie Mason is gone, to lose Shecky Green is awful. Just, I mean, it's sad. Sad. Also open for Sinatra, by the way, um, before Tom Dreesen did. So, posthumous commendation to Shecky Green. I want to give a, a commendation to Gino from Brooklyn. Gino from Brooklyn calls into this show regularly. Great guy. And his father was a, a friend of mine. I uh, hadn't seen him probably in about 18 years, right around there. Passed away recently. And Gino from Brooklyn not only came to our New Year's Eve Eve party, he not only gave me a ride to Atlantic City from where I live, but he actually stopped, went out of his way to stop in Brooklyn and pick up the awards, the plaques for our recipients that we needed for the ceremony. He picked them up, went out of his way to do that, and then picked me up and then drove me all the way to my destination. And then he and his uh, longtime companion, Tanya, were delightful company at all of the hijinks and the festivities this weekend. 
So he really went out of his way to make this party a success, and I'm really grateful. I wanted to buy gas, wouldn't let me buy gas. Wanted to buy a drink, wouldn't let me buy a drink. Really, the guy went out of his way. Just to carry those plaques alone was um, no easy stretch. I want to commend Jerry Evans. Jerry Evans has found the largest colorless diamond in state parks' recent history. What do we mean by that? Well, if you go to um, Diamonds State Park, anyone in in Arkansas or Arkansas, if you go to Diamond State Park, anyone, citizen, foreigner, anybody at all, can comb and just come and comb through the hills and ditches for diamonds. I'm not sure if this is how Gina Limberopoulos' fiancé got his diamond, but that's exactly what Jerry Evans did in the spring. And within 10 minutes of entry, he saw what he thought was a piece of glass on top of a plowed ridge, picked it up, stuffed it in his pocket. He later sent the stone in to the Gemological Institute of America for identification on the hunch that maybe it's something more than broken glass. A few weeks later, he heard back that it was a near colorless diamond, record size for this park. 4.87 carat diamond, the largest colorless diamond found in this park in a decade. Congratulations, Jerry Evans. If you need a guy, look for diamonds. Maybe he's your man. I want to commend uh, Esmond Kamau, an Alabama Uber driver who <laughs> returned $8,000 cash that a hopeful teenager left in his vehicle. This man has been an Uber driver for four years on and off. He's the father of five. And he really connected with this young man, this client of his, Alex. And he told the driver how his dad's proud of him and how he's also very proud of him. And he said something, basically, he said that um, his dad had given Alex $8,000 cash to buy a new motorcycle. And dropping off Alex, Kamal was heading over to retrieve another rider when he noticed a red Christmas-themed bag in the back of the car, which he realized was filled with quite a lot of money. But he reported it missing through the Uber app immediately. Meanwhile, Alex was frantically retracing his steps. Eventually, he also reported the cash missing, at which point the Uber app connected the two once again, and Kamau headed back to Alex's position. And the teen was blown away by the honesty of the driver and made sure he drove off with a generous tip. And first of all, I think there's a lot of people, especially people that might be struggling to make ends meet, might be the father of five, who they would just keep that cash. What cash? I don't know anything about any cash. And this guy didn't. I think that really counts for um, a great deal. And what he told WVTM 13 in Alabama is something I agree with. When you do something good, it comes back 10 times. I agree with that. Now, does that mean he's going to get $80,000? I hope so. But you, you got good karma coming to you. Good karma. And finally, I want to commend the hero cops of the 5th Precinct of the NYPD who 
came to the aid of a six-story apartment building that was in flames across from their station door. These officers, William Finnan and William DeTavio, along with two other colleagues whose names I don't have, they charged in. They didn't wait for the fire department. They charged in after residents fleeing the fire said there were elderly people trapped inside. One of the officers talking to Channel 5 said, this is near Chinatown. I remember very specifically a guy walked up to me and said, Mommy, Mommy, sixth floor. And at that point, I knew we had to get up there. They released the body camera footage worn by DeTavio. And it shows Officer Finan exiting the building with a 99-year-old woman over his shoulder before DeTavio charges up five flights of stairs to find the fourth member of the rescue team coming uh, with coming out with another elderly woman. Between the four men, they were able to rescue the 99-year-old, two elderly men aged 96 and 91, as well as a fourth woman whose age was not disclosed. All just five days before Christmas. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? You oh, If a cop looks at someone the wrong way, you see it on the news. Did you see a lot of coverage of these hero cops not waiting for the fire department and rushing in to rescue these people? No, I don't think there was. And you got to ask yourself, you know, if we're going to report the thing, you know, incidents of uh, police misconduct or accidents, fine, let's report them. But let's also report the acts of hero- heroism of these officers that go above and beyond. Well, if there's anybody deserving of a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, it is these hero cops from the Fifth Precinct in New York. God bless you. God bless you indeed. All right. Uh, we're going to talk with Dave Spector live from Japan in just a moment. We'll find out what's going on with this Japanese earthquake and uh, a bunch of other things. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano.
after the hour. The, these are the talking heads. They love to do talking, and so do I. And so do is our next guest, although he's able to do it in uh, multiple languages. Uh, he's been kind enough to be a guest on our show before. He's tremendous uh, every time. But uh, now we're uh, turning to him because there's actually some uh, pretty devastating news uh, coming to us from the land of the rising sun, Japan, where there are scenes of devastation emerging along Japan's west coast as rescuers are racing to save residents that are trapped in the rubble of a 7.5 magnitude earthquake that has triggered multiple aftershocks and killed dozens of people. As of uh, Tuesday afternoon, at least 48 people have been confirmed dead. And uh, we suspect that, unfortunately, that number could grow. want to welcome uh, Dave Spector, a guy that is a broadcasting legend. He's an American by birth and by upbringing, but he's a talk show host and TV producer broadcasting and living in Japan. Dave, um, I guess the appropriate thing for me to say is good evening. Thank you for joining me on the show. <laughs> Yes, thank you. It's uh, 5.32 p.m. here in Tokyo, and the earthquake happened on the other side of Japan as you look at it from, from Tokyo, but it's not that far. It's about two hours by the, uh, the super-fast train or five hours by car. Got it. And so your area and, and Tokyo, that, that is pretty normal at this point. It was, and uh, the earthquake, even though it was felt in Tokyo, was quite large, and it, it continued for about two minutes, and the building that I'm in was swaying like you're on, an, on a, a boat, you know, for uh, about two minutes, and that, that itself is very scary, because you're not sure exactly where the epicenter is or what's going to happen, so people in Tokyo were also very uh, affected by the earthquake, uh, even though it happened elsewhere. I mm, know. Uh, uh, so what are you hearing at this point, Dave, about what the uh, level of um, damage and destruction is at this juncture. Well, it's pretty bad. I mean, I have the NHK, which is sort of the um, national broadcaster, like the BBC, which has 24-hour coverage at the moment. And a lot of the structures were very old. They're wooden structures. Some of them are historic, so they didn't rebuild. And by that nature, a lot of the homes simply are not sturdy. Uh, most of the construction now in Japan is quite earthquake-proof, and uh, tall, even tall buildings are, are very safe. But um, older structures, especially residents or old Older um, stores uh, in the tourist areas are um, simply not very um, strongly built, so they they collapse uh, rather easily, and all the tiles fall off. And of course, as you see, as you see with any earthquake, the roads are in in very bad shape. So a lot of the repair work that needs to be done is is going to be hampered until the roads are cleared. So that's that's another factor. Uh, fortunately, the trains are moving. The the, the famous bullet train is is moving. So that that's good in itself. Now, we all remember what occurred 13 years ago, made international news when you had an 8.9 magnitude earthquake killing thousands of people. And there were, I believe, tsunamis as a result of that. And that triggered a triple meltdown at the uh, Fukushima nuclear power plant. One of the things that uh, people have urged caution with respect to nuclear power along the world, around the world is exactly this, is that uh, maybe it's not wise to build nuclear power plants in areas that are prone to earthquakes. Are we hearing anything like that this time around? Are any nuclear power plants in any sort of danger at this juncture, Dave? 
Well, some some uh, concern is that most of the um, nuclear power reactors are centralized um, in the Fukui prefecture, which is where the earthquake happened, or actually next door to the prefecture, which is the meaning of the word state. Here they call them prefectures, but it's a state. And they're all centralized. Uh, most of them are in that area, so there's a lot of concern. Um, one of the reactors, there seems to be some sort of an electrical issue, um, not, the, not to the extent where they're shutting it down or there's any sort of panic, but they are looking into that as we speak. And that was on the news about 30 minutes ago. But there are many, many nuclear reactors in that area, most of which serve uh, the Tokyo region. Um, but at this point, there is no emergency um, that you'd have to you know, be that worried about. But once again, there, there's a lot of aftershocks and people are on high alert. And the scary thing is that uh, you know, the, the following two or three days or as long as a week, there are many, many aftershocks. And, and even today, every 30 minutes or even as, as, uh, as frequently as every 10 minutes, there's some sort of an aftershock. And some of them are rather large. So you just can't you know, come to the conclusion that all the nuclear plants are going to be safe at this point. It's a little bit premature. I would imagine, and we're talking with David Spector, he's joining us live from uh, Japan, I would imagine that electricity has got to be a tough thing for a lot of people at this point. I would imagine electricity is out for a lot of folks. It is out. A lifeline is out uh, for many people. But um, Japan is probably, or I would say, I would guarantee it's the most well-prepared country uh, on the face of the earth when it comes to earthquakes. So they know basically what to do when these things happen. And they're very good about uh, following advice and instructions um, uh, and evacuating and whatnot. So um, they are rather fast about getting water to people and to restoring um, electricity and phone lines as, as fast as they can. So in that regard, Guard, uh, I think they're doing well. And it, it happened on New Year's Day, which in Japan is a huge holiday. And most people are home and they've already done their cooking for the holidays to give the mothers and the housewives a break, you could say. It's sort of a tradition. And outside of some people visiting from out, outside of uh, the area, like from Tokyo and whatnot, um, everybody basically was at home. So people were not out that much, uh, just a little bit of sightseeing. So, uh, you know, there, there were some lucky elements and then some not lucky elements. The fact that it happened in the daytime is always good because at least you can see what's going on. Um, and everybody was together and they can help each other and, and whatnot. So um, in my recollection, I've never heard of an earthquake happening on New Year's Day because, you know, it's a very festive time of mm -hmm. the year. People are in a great mood and, they're, and they're, they're off work and whatnot and family is visiting. So it was kind of a shock just for that to happen. It's almost like if it happened on, on Christmas or Thanksgiving. Now, I, I alluded to the um, earthquake affecting the nuclear power plant at uh, Fukushima 13 years ago. Has Japan been reluctant to open more nuclear power plants in the ensuing 13 years because of what occurred back then? Or are they sort of back on the horse when it comes to nuclear power? Well, I think they're back on the horse as far as building new ones that are much safer. You know, when you say nuclear power reactors, there's various kinds. Uh, in Europe, they're making them very, very small, and they're, they seem to be much safer than the ones from the past. Um, but there's a lot of concern here. At the same time, global warming has sort of like given a, uh, what would you call, like a, a green flag to once again rethink nuclear power because of global warming, and in that respect, it's safer. Um, but, you know, Japan does 
does not have any natural resources, and it's a huge country population-wise and economic-wise. So they're the last, the last country that can really have many options outside of buying uh, oil. And, you know, people don't want to use that kind of fossil fuel anymore. So in a way, it's, it's a, they're at, a, at a, a, a turning point where it might be okay to start up um, – to start going back to nuclear power. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I mean, you know, even a scientist can't say. It sounds like at this point, though, um, residents are giving emergency services and the government fairly high remarks, high uh, marks in terms of their responsiveness to this. Is that accurate? Yes, they're always they're always very fast um, about helping, and um, you know Japan always helps other countries that that face earthquake damage because they're so good at it. They have a lot of knowledge and know how, and they donate um, money and whatnot. So in reverse, um, the surrounding countries like Korea and Taiwan will be very eager to help if the call is needed. And of course, the U.S. embassy has also offered any help that might be needed. So they're in good shape as far as that goes, and the. And this, the armed forces here, they're called the self-defense forces, are very, very good at disaster um, assistance. And um, they aren't really on site yet, but I think it's just a matter of time before they start uh, rolling into the area to, to, offer, to offer any help. So they're in good hands. And the governor of the prefecture here is actually a former pro wrestler. He's like Jesse Ventura. Oh, wow. so he's sort of a Yeah, so he's sort of a, a good guy to have in these kind of cases. You know, look, the guy's very bulky and... And very strong, or used to be very strong. So I think they feel kind of uh, comfortable with that. But um, you know, they're very—they help each other out, and they're so used to earthquakes in Japan that you don't see panic. You never see looting or anything like that. So as far as the assistance goes, um, the Japanese make it very, very easy for them, and of course, they're always very appreciative of any help they get. Dave Spector, if uh, folks are listening to you, uh, who sounds like, uh, you know, you could be from, um, you know, the Midwest or, you know, anywhere in the heart of the United States, and they're wondering Mm -hmm. how you ended up in Japan, and they have not heard our previous conversations, how uh, did you develop such a following as a broadcaster in Japan, being from, I believe it was Chicago originally, right? Chicago, that's right. As a matter of fact, my, yeah, I was listening to your program earlier. Um, Shecky Green uh, was is a cousin, was a cousin of mine. Oh, so you're I kidding. Oh, I'm sorry. Business connection. <laughs> yes. And um, so um, I grew up as a child actor and also worked in the radio and whatnot and wound up going to Japan for the television show Ripley's Believe It or Not, which was on ABC with Jack Palance as the host. And I wound up staying here and uh, they, like, they like to put foreign people on television here on occasion. And uh, that sort of started the ball rolling, and before I knew it, I became sort of like a, a, a fixture here on television. So I'm on all the time, and it's been all over 35 years. Oh, well, that is great. I'm glad you're doing well. No, uh, no plans to move back to Chicago anytime soon, I guess. No, no. Why, why move back? The uh, mayor of Chicago, Rahm um, Emanuel, is now the U.S. ambassador <laughs> here. So it's like if I can have my DMV license uh, renewed by him, you know, if he's in the mood. So, <laughs> did, did you keep your American citizenship? Oh, of course, yes. And and no plans to uh, give it up anytime soon. No. I mean, you know, when you think about Ellis Island and what people went through to 
get their ancestors and grandparents. I, I don't think I could do that. But a lot of people do um, um, give up their citizenship. Sometimes it's for tax reasons and other reasons. Just, they're just not going to ever move back. So um, a lot of people do that, and I certainly wouldn't criticize, but I, I just don't see myself doing that. Do, do you continue to vote in American elections? I'm just curious. Yes. You do? Yes, for um, national elections and for governor and, and uh, mayor. Well, so isn't um, that but, interesting that, yes. you know— um, you don't have a house in Chicago, I imagine, anymore. No, um, but no. you can still vote for mayor of Chicago. Right. Well, uh, or whatever state you're registered right, exactly. in. Right, exactly. No, I'm California. Right. Well, you have to remember that Americans are the only people in the entire world that have to continue to pay taxes no matter where they live and no matter how long they've been gone. So you can be in, like, Germany for 50 years and you're still paying U.S. taxes. So at the very least, you want to, um, you know, use your vote because uh, you're paying for it, so to speak. So, um, you know, it's the least you can do, I think, to continue to vote. Well, that's great. Hey, um, in terms of um, one of the things not related to the, the present crisis with the earthquake, but one of the things that we've been mm-hmm. hearing about Japan is something that other countries in the West have struggled with for some time, which is uh, demographics, which is the population not having enough children to replace itself. How big of a problem is that out there, David? And are, are, do you get the sense that people are concerned about that? There's not enough people in Japan, and the uh, there's there's not enough workers. There's not enough uh, drivers for taxis and whatnot. So, and especially in the service industry, um, and a lot of uh, developed countries, it's the same thing. They just can't um, increase the birth rate, no matter how hard they try. Some countries do very well at increasing it, like France and other countries, and uh, Korea has been trying. But it, in generally, it's almost impossible to to get enough uh, people, and that's why immigration is important. Um, unfortunately, uh, you can overdo that, as I think as you're seeing in the United States, um, with busloads of people crossing the border. Um, and in Japan, it's the opposite. They were never that immigration friendly. You know, of course, a certain degree of people would move here and immigrants, but they're not that they're not into that as much, but they have no choice anymore. And they don't really take in as many refugees as uh, other countries do, although that's improving. But I think they realize that they simply will not have much of a workforce and you can't you know, you can't make everything into a robot so um, or AI controlled. So I think uh, they're facing the music now, and there there will be much, much, much more uh, immigration to Japan now. And it's a great place to live. It's very safe, except for earthquakes, unfortunately. Well, so they have gotten more liberal in terms of their immigration policy. Yes. Yes, much more liberal. Yes, Interesting. much more liberal. And then um, mm-hmm. uh, lastly, I'll ask Dave, uh, I ran mm-hmm. into someone at a, at a party over the weekend that had just spent three weeks in Japan, and the first thing he mm-hmm. told me was that uh, the food, the Japanese food in Japan is very different from what we call Japanese food in the United States. I could buy that. I'm sure that's true of a lot of <laughs> countries. Is that your experience? If I go to a, a sushi restaurant and I get the, the sashimi or, or whatever the, the specials are at a, at a restaurant there, is it going to be completely alien than if I go to uh, Nobu in New York City? 
Well, Nobu is more like fusion. It's more modern Japanese food in his defense, you know. And they, they tend to, uh, what they call it, showboat a lot of the food in, in, in America, Japanese food, mainly because it's, don't forget, it's tip-based. People, they want people to leave tips and to have a good evening. But in Japan, they don't do that. So it's a little bit more um, authentic and basic. But I would say in the past five, even ten years, Japanese cuisine in America has become very, very sophisticated. Um, and the level has really gotten very high. And a lot of Japanese restaurants have opened up branches in New York and other places, including some famous chain chain restaurants. So I think you're seeing a much, much better, um, more authentic Japanese food um, in the States now. It's not like it used to be, which is, it was almost comical in the old days. But uh, no, I think it's gotten much, much, uh, much, much better. So this guy, Fernando, that told me that, he doesn't know what he's talking about. No, it depends. <laughs> it depends where you go. It depends where you go. Um, but in 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 all uh, fairness, I think you have a lot of Japanese restaurants that are trying very very hard in the states to be as authentic as they can. Um, but you know, the atmosphere is different, and the ingredients are different, and the training of the chefs is not always going to be the same caliber. But um, I would say, especially in large cities like Los Angeles and New York, you can find some very like even ramen. You know, ramen noodles. You can find some very good places. All right, uh, Dave Spector, I'm glad you're safe. I appreciate you uh, taking the time, when I, I'm sure, which I'm sure is a pretty busy time for you, to update our audience. And I hope we can chat again soon. Okay, Frank. Thanks a lot. Stay Thank well. Thank you, Dave Spector. All Bye-bye. Uh, one of uh, Japan's finest broadcasters and uh, originally an American and still an American. All right, if you want to comment any on any portion of our conversation, you can give me a call, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side at Midnight with Frank Morano. Until the top of the hour, the Ramones singing about Rockaway Beach. Well, uh, I spent uh, a portion of the weekend in a beach community in Atlantic City. We had our annual New Year's Eve Eve party out there. Yes, it's New Year's Eve Eve, December 30th. I uh, put some pictures up on Facebook if you want to take a look. If you were there and you took some pictures, then um, feel free to post them. I'm just asking people to include the hashtag NYEE2023. We had several listeners uh, attend, uh, Gino and Brooklyn. We had uh, Jerry and Grace attend, great listeners. Uh, Kenneth and Karen, I got to meet them for the first time. Donna from Huntington came to her third. Donna from Huntington, who's always the life of the party. I love her. 
uh, she came to her third New Year's Eve Eve party, and she brought a friend, and um, the friend only added to the room as well. I couldn't tell if they were having a good time or not, but I, I hope they did. On the, you know, on the party bus going from one venue to another, Donna seemed very into the dancing and so forth. But uh, I don't know if um, you know. I don't know if that was for the friend as well. Every year, you know, this it, it's a lot of effort to put on this party. I mean, uh, there's between eighty and a hundred people that come. And every year, and it's a lot of money, right? It's uh, a lot of work, a lot of time, and a lot of money. You, know, you hire wait staff, you're buying food, you're buying some liquor. Everybody does chip in a little bit, but still, it's it's a lot. Paying for awards and everything. And every year in the run up to it, I think to myself, uh, you know, I think this is going to be the last year that I do this. I just I just can't do this anymore. But everyone really seems to have such a good time, and everyone really seems to. Look forward to it. Uh, so whenever it's the day of New Year's Eve Eve or the day after, even though I'm exhausted from uh, – because but you got a picture. You're planning the party and, and basically producing a show. You're working on all these different venues. Then you're part producer, part caterer, part MC, part, you know, um, party guest – and you, you know, you're doing all of this simultaneously, right? And it's it's a lot. It's a lot. And to do it every year, I mean, it, it you know, it's a lot. But everyone has such a good time that I really can't see ever stopping. I think I could have done a better job in terms of the program this year. I tried to keep it short and sweet because that was one of the complaints last year that the program was too long. But um, I think we I think we did a fair job this year. I um, I was really really impressed you know i came down on the 29th and i uh, was really impressed with gino from brooklyn who gave me a lift and um not only went out of his way to give me a lift but pick up the plaques it was nice so on the 29th we had a small ceremony for the people that had won awards last year but we hadn't given them their awards we didn't have them made in time so we gave the folks richard helfant david pena mayor beth holtzman their awards in a special ceremony on the 29th. Councilman Jesse Kurtz, because we were in his district, he came and welcomed everybody, and he brought poinsettias to give out from a previous event that he did. So then it became my job to basically give away these poinsettias all weekend, and then I forgot that I was stuck with these poinsettias. Obviously, our car was totally packed, so we had no room for the poinsettias, so we ended up you know, giving them to anybody that wanted them. Then um, there was... Right before the party, there was a problem with ice. We realized we don't have enough ice for these coolers. So I text my sister-in-law, Sharon, and my co-brother-in-law, James, who are coming to the party, driving down with their eight-month-old son, Eric. If you see some of the pictures, that's the baby you see. He looks a little like Carmine. Carmine is his first cousin. And they say, I say, please get one sleeve of ice. And now they're already, they're already doing what they can to, to say, well, you know, we might, we might not make it down until seven thirty, or if you have someone else that can get ice before that, fine, okay. Please just get one sleeve of ice. Uh, Tony, do you know how many bags of ice are in a sleeve? No, school me, my friend. Well, uh, do you know, have any idea, Matt? I have not. 
I have no idea. No, neither of you know. See, I thought this was common knowledge. Okay. How many how many bags are in a sleeve? Yeah. How many bags of ice are in a sleeve? I never even know that there was such a thing as called a sleeve yeah. of ice. It's just a bag you know of what? ice. Yeah, just a bag of ice. No, no, no. But it's not a bag of ice. It's a sleeve of ice. Right? Three bags? No. See, see, these would have all been <laughs> questions that if I asked you to pick up the ice, that I would expect you to. Shoot back at me. But James and Sharon, they have a lot of parties. Every weekend at their house is a party. So I got to think they know what a sleeve of ice is. A sleeve of ice is generally uh, seven bags, okay? It's at least five, depending on how many, how much ice is in the bag. Five to seven in that range is in a sleeve. So James comes into this party, and he comes in holding two bags of ice, which is nothing, nothing. And meanwhile, people are drinking warm drinks, and now my wife is, who really did an incredible job putting this together, she's freaking out that we don't have enough ice, we don't have enough ice. So I go on to DoorDash, and I order a sleeve of ice from Wawa. They totally ripped me off. I think it was around, um, uh, and some water, which we needed. It's called supply and demand, that's why. Exactly. I think I've spent about $50 on ice. But when I tried to enter the order on my app, and meanwhile, people are arriving. People can't find the the venue, the glass onion, because it's sort of like a speakeasy. It's kind of hidden. And I'm trying to entertain people and order ice and keep everybody calm simultaneously. And it says, cannot your order, error with your order. So I keep trying again, error with your order. Why? Why? Why is there an error? I said, fine, forget this. I'm going to go to Uber Eats and order ice through Uber Eats. I order $50 worth of ice through Uber Eats. Wouldn't you know it, not only did the Instacart order or DoorDash order come through, so did the Uber Eats order, and my brother-in-law Daniel, who arrived at 8.30, he also brought ice. So then we went from having no ice to having every ice everywhere. Ice upon ice and upon ice. Um, so that was one thing. Ice management was a, a party. The sound system was not the best. You know, Kelsey Grammer was kind enough to call in and give a little some well wishes to everybody. But when we played it on the PA, a lot of folks couldn't make out what he was saying. Hey Frank, Kelsey Grammer calling. I just wanted to let all you guys know that I'm with you in spirit. and Have a wonderful uh, New Year's Eve Eve. <laughs> all the best, guys. We'll see you in the new year. Blessings. Which was very nice of him to do that and take the time to uh, do that. But a lot of people couldn't necessarily make out what he was uh, was saying. We had a great performance, a little uh, My Way by uh, Joe Sebelia, even with the difficulties with with the sound system. Uh, our honorees this year were AC Mike Lopez and Elizabeth Taranak. They were both guests on the show. And what we did for the countdown is we ran into a wedding after party and we merged our party with the wedding after party. And I had the married couple, the newly married couple, Mr. and Mrs. John Jensen, drop the ball at midnight, which people were really into. So it was a lot of fun. I was glad so many of my family members came, and uh, everyone seemed to have a good time. Your influence counts. Use it.